European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 42, Issue 36. Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. The ESC Guidelines on Heart Failure, Sacubitral Valsartan in Resistant Hypertension, and New Therapeutic Targets in Myocardial Hypertrophy. This focus issue on heart failure and cardiomyopathies contains the 2021 ESC Guidelines for the Diagnosis and Treatment of Acute and Chronic Heart Failure. These guidelines are extremely innovative. They introduce new concepts compared to 2016 guidelines, including 1. A change of term, heart failure with mid-range ejection fraction, to heart failure with mildly reduced ejection fraction, or HEFMREF. 2. A simplified diagnostic algorithm for HEFREF. 3. A treatment algorithm for HEFREF according to phenotypes. 4. A modified classification for acute HF. 5. Updated treatments for most non-cardiovascular comorbidities, including diabetes, hyperkalemia, and iron deficiency cancer. 6. The role of genetic testing in cardiomyopathies and new treatments. And 7. The addition of quality indicators. Sodium glucose cotransporter 2, or SGLT2, inhibitors have recently been shown to reduce both worsening heart failure and death from cardiovascular causes in patients with HEFREF. Ventricular arrhythmias are common and are one of the key causes of death in HEFREF, as indicated by the benefit of implantable cardioverter defibrillators or ICDs on sudden death. Although rates of sudden death have been declining over the past three decades with improving pharmacological therapy, this mode of death remains the principal cause of mortality in ambulatory patients with HEFREF, particularly those with mild symptoms. In an ESC fast-track clinical research article entitled Effect of Dapagliflozin on Ventricular Arrhythmias, Resuscitated Cardiac Arrest, or Sudden Death in Dapa HF. John McMurray, from the Western Infirmary in Glasgow, United Kingdom, and colleagues, examined the effect of dapagliflozin on the incidence of ventricular arrhythmias and sudden death in patients with HEFREF. In a post-hoc analysis of Dapa HF, the authors examined serious adverse events reports related to ventricular arrhythmias or cardiac arrest, in an addition to adjudicated sudden death. The effect of dapagliflozin compared with placebo on the composite of the first occurrence of any serious ventricular arrhythmia, resuscitated cardiac arrest, or sudden death, was examined using Cox proportional hazards models. A serious ventricular arrhythmia was reported in 115 or 2.4 percent of the 4,744 patients in DAPA HF, 206 or 41 percent of the 500 cardiovascular deaths occurred suddenly. Independent predictors of the composite outcome, first occurrence of any serious ventricular arrhythmia, resuscitated cardiac arrest or sudden death, ranked by chi-square value, were log-transformed NT-pro-PNP, history of ventricular arrhythmia, left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, systolic blood pressure, history of myocardial infarction, male sex, 
body mass index, serum sodium concentration, non-white race, treatment with dapagliflozin, and cardiac resynchronization therapy. Of participants assigned to dapagliflozin, 140 of the 2,373 patients, or 5.9%, experienced the composite outcome compared with 175 of the 2,371 patients, or 7.4%, in the placebo group, hazard ratio 0.79, 95% confidence interval 0.63 to 0.99, P equaling 0.037, and the effect was consistent across the components of the composite outcome. McMurray and colleagues conclude that dapagliflozin reduced the risk of any serious ventricular arrhythmia, cardiac arrest, or sudden death when added to conventional therapy in patients with HEFREF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Peter Light from the University of Alberta in Edmonton, Canada. The author concludes that the results presented advance our knowledge of this important class of drug and should be considered as proof of principle and hypothesis generating. Given the compelling evidence that has recently emerged, from clinical trials to cellular mechanisms, it seems that new trials and preclinical studies designed to specifically interrogate the antiarrhythmic efficacy of the SGLT2Is will be key avenues to pursue in the near future. These are indeed exciting times for SGLT2I research. Patients with heart failure and preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF, frequently have difficult-to-control hypertension. In a clinical research article entitled Sacubitral Valsartin as a Treatment for Apparent Resistant Hypertension in Patients with Heart Failure and Preserved Ejection Fraction, Alice Jackson from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom and colleagues examined the effects of neprilizin inhibition on apparent resistant hypertension in patients with HEFPEF in the Paragon HF trial, which compared the effects of sacubitral valsartin with valsartin. In this post hoc analysis, patients were categorized according to systolic blood pressure at the end of the valsartin run in, n equaling 4795. Apparent resistant hypertension was defined as systolic blood pressure greater than or equal to 140 millimeters of mercury or greater than 135 millimeters of mercury if diabetes, despite treatment with valsartin, a calcium channel blocker, and a diuretic. Apparent mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist or MRA-resistant hypertension was defined as systolic blood pressure greater than or equal to 140 millimeters of mercury or greater than or equal to 135 millimeters of mercury if diabetes, despite the above treatment and an MRA. The primary outcome in the Paragon HF trial was a composite of total hospitalizations for heart failure and death from cardiovascular causes. The authors examined clinical endpoints and the safety of sacubitral valsartin according to the hypertension category. They also examined reductions in blood pressure from the end of the valsartin run-in to week 4 and 16 after randomization. Overall, 731 patients, or 15.2%, had apparent resistant hypertension, 
and 135, or 2.8%, had apparent MRA-resistant hypertension. The rate of the primary outcome was significantly higher in patients with apparent resistant hypertension, 17.3 per 100 person years, compared to those with a controlled systolic blood pressure, 13.4 per 100 person years, with an adjusted rate ratio of 1.28. The reduction in systolic blood pressure at weeks 4 and 16 respectively was greater with sacubitral valsartan versus valsartan in patients with apparent resistant hypertension, minus 4.8 and minus 3.9 millimeters of mercury, and apparent MRA-resistant hypertension, minus 8.8 and minus 6.3 millimeters of mercury. The proportion of patients with apparent resistant hypertension achieving a controlled systolic blood pressure by week 16 was 47.9% in the sacubitral valsartan group and 34.3% in the valsartan group, adjusted odds ratio 1.78. In patients with apparent MRA-resistant hypertension, the respective proportions were 43.6 versus 28.4%, Adjusted odds ratio 2.63. The authors conclude that sacubitral valsartan may be useful in treating apparent resistant hypertension in patients with HEFPEF, even in those who continue to have elevated blood pressure despite treatment with at least four antihypertensive drug classes, including an MRA. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Massimo Volpe and Giovanna Gallo from the Sapienza University of Rome, Università degli Studi di Roma La Sapienza in Italy. The authors conclude that the current analysis performed by Jackson et al. supports such an approach, as it documents better control of BP and potentially better outcomes in patients with resistant hypertension and HEFPEF when treated with sacubitral valsartan. This paves the way to more formal prospective studies to investigate the potential double-hit benefits of sacubitral valsartan in a tough and challenging clinical field, such as resistant hypertension and HEFPEF. While myocardial ischemia plays a major role in the pathogenesis of HF, the indications for coronary angiography during acute HF are not established. In a clinical research article entitled Early Invasive Coronary Angiography and Acute Ischemic Heart Failure Outcomes. Leia Kosiakowski from the University of Toronto in Canada and colleagues determined the association of early coronary angiography during acute HF hospitalization with two-year mortality, cardiovascular death, HF readmissions, and coronary revascularization. In a two-stage sampling process, the authors identified acute HF patients who presented to 70 emergency departments in Ontario, April 2010 to March 2013, and determined whether they underwent early coronary angiography within 14 days after presentation using administrative databases. After clinical record review, they determined a cohort with acute ischemic HF as patients with at least one factor suggesting underlying ischemic heart disease, including previous myocardial infarction, troponin elevation, or angina on presentation. They oversampled patients undergoing angiography and used inverse probability of treatment weighting, or IPTW, to adjust for baseline differences.
Of 7,239 patients with acute HF, 2,994 met inclusion criteria. Early angiography was performed in 1,567 patients, or 52%, and was associated with lower all-cause mortality, hazard ratio, or HR, 0.74, P equaling 0.002, cardiovascular death, HR 0.72, P equaling 0.012, and HF readmissions, HR 0.84, P equaling 0.042 after IPTW. Those undergoing early angiography experienced higher rates of percutaneous coronary intervention, HR 2.58, P being less than 0.001, and coronary artery bypass grafting, HR 2.94, P being less than 0.001, within two years. The authors conclude that early coronary angiography is associated with lower all-cause mortality, cardiovascular death, HF readmissions, and higher rates of coronary revascularization in acute HF patients with possible ischemia. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Mehmet Biran Yilmaz from the Dokuz Eylül University in Uzmir, Turkey. The author concludes that anatomic evaluation of CAD via early angiography seems to yield improved outcomes for patients with acute HF having ischemic signals, i.e. elevation of troponin or angina or previous history of MI. Hence, differential identification of ischemic phenotype of acute HF seems to enable early coronary angiography advantageous for patient outcomes, though it remains to be established whether there are more specific signals to be added and further validation cohorts are needed. Despite considerable therapeutic advances, there are still a dearth of evidence on the molecular determinants of cardiac hypertrophy that culminate in heart failure. Neuraminidases are a family of enzymes that catalyze the cleavage of terminal sialic acids from glycoproteins or glycolipids. In a translational research article entitled Neuraminidase 1 is a driver of experimental cardiac hypertrophy, Jian Tian Chen from the China Pharmaceutical University in Nanjing, China and colleagues sought to characterize the role of neuraminidases, or NU, in pathological cardiac hypertrophy and identify pharmacological inhibitors targeting mammalian neuraminidases. New 1 was highly expressed in the hypertrophic hearts of mice and rats, and this elevation was confirmed in patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy compared with healthy controls. The increase New 1 was mainly localized, co-localized with cardiac troponin T in cardiomyocytes. Cardiomyocyte-specific New 1 deficiency alleviated hypertrophic phenotypes in response to transverse aortic constriction or isoproteranol hydrochloride infusion, while new one overexpression exacerbated the development of cardiac hypertrophy. Mechanistically, co-immunoprecipitation coupled with mass spectrometry, chromatin immunoprecipitation, and luciferase assays demonstrated that new one translocated into the nucleus and interacted with GATA4, leading to fetal gene NPPA and MPPB expression. Virtual screening and experimental validation identified a novel compound, C09, 
from millions of compounds that showed favourable binding affinity to human NU1, KD equaling 0.38 micrometer, and effectively prevented the development of cardiac remodelling in cellular and animal models. Interestingly, anti-influenza drugs, Zanamivir and Oseltamivir, effectively inhibited mammalian NU1 and showed new indications of cardioprotection. Chen and colleagues conclude that this work identifies NU1 as a critical driver of cardiac hypertrophy, and inhibition of NU1 opens up an entirely new field of treatment for cardiovascular diseases. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Konstantinos Stelos and Simon Tual Shalot from the Newcastle University in the United Kingdom. The authors conclude that repurposing of anti-influenza drugs may offer a potential therapeutic opportunity in pressure overloaded induced cardiac hypertrophy and remodeling. Future studies are warranted to investigate the therapeutic efficacy of anti-influenza drugs in heart failure. In a second translational research article entitled Three Prime Untranslated Region of CKIP1 Inhibits Cardiac Hypertrophy Independently of Its Cognate Protein. Yinlong Zhao from the Hebei Normal University Shijiazhong, China and colleagues note that 3' untranslated region or 3' UTR of mRNA is more conserved than other non-coding sequences in vertebrate genomes and its sequence space has substantially expanded during the evolution of higher organisms which substantiates their significance in biological regulation. However, the independent role of 3' UTR in cardiovascular disease is largely unknown. Using bioinformatics, RNA fluorescent in situ hybridization and quantitative real-time polymerase chain reaction, the authors found that 3' UTR and coding sequence regions of CKIP1 mRNA exhibited diverse expression and localization in cardiomyocytes. They then generated cardiac-specific CKIP1 3'-UTR overexpression mice under wild-type and casein kinase interacting protein 1, or CKIP1, knockout background. Cardiac remodeling was assessed by histological, echocardiography and molecular analyses at four weeks after transverse aortic constriction, or TAC, surgery. The results showed that cardiac CKIP1 3'-UTR significantly inhibited TAC-induced cardiac hypertrophy independent of CKIP1 protein. To determine the mechanisms of CKIP1 3'-UTR in cardiac hypertrophy, the authors performed transcriptome and metabolomics analyses, RNA immunoprecipitation, biotin-based RNA pulldown, and reporter gene assays. They found that CKIP1 3'-UTR promoted fatty acid metabolism through AMPK PPAR-alpha-CPT1B axis, leading to protection against pathological cardiac hypertrophy. Moreover, CKIP1 3'-UTR RNA therapy using adeno-associated virus obviously alleviated cardiac hypertrophy and improved heart function. The authors conclude that these findings disclose that CKIP1 3'-UTR inhibits cardiac hypertrophy independently of its cognate protein. CKIP1 3'-UTR 
might be an effective RNA-based therapy tool for treating cardiac hypertrophy and heart failure. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Gabriella Custa and Riccardo Bernasconi from the University Hospital Basel in Switzerland. The authors note that Zhao and colleagues show a specific function of 3' UTR that involves the sponging and diversion of miRNA and is independent from the expression of its cognate protein in a setting of cardiovascular disease. Although still a long shot away from clinical implication, their work directs our focus on an additional layer of gene regulation, adding to its complexity and opening the door to a new and intriguing landscape of worth for further exploration. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.